Are you raising, teaching or caring for girls? Today's show is for you with Maggie Dent. If all the birds could fly right now As high as me somehow They could see all the things I've been dreaming of These wings of mine flutter inside They shimmy and they glide Breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 300. Unbelievable. I cannot believe I have had 300 incredible conversations and interviews and been able to bring you this crazy pool of expertise over the last seven years. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm calling it a 300th birthday. It feels really good. And we just passed 3 million downloads recently. So uh, it feels like a really big stage for the show. And looking ahead, I couldn't be more excited. If you wanted to give us something for our birthday, gosh, I would love a review or you sharing one of your favorite podcast episodes from the show since you've been listening. Uh, and if you do that on your socials and you tag Lotox Life, I will be drawing two winners over the month of September who will win a duo of signed books from me. So my first and second book valued at $70 posted to you wherever you are in the world, signed by me as a big thank you for the birthday prezi that you're going to give me of sharing your favorite show on socials. And the reason I want you to do that is, um, A, I actually really love hearing what moves you, what makes sense to you, what gives you ahas, what changes your life. And when I hear those stories, it motivates me to keep digging and finding more and more helpful, incredibly knowledgeable guests to bring to you. And it's this big kind of thing that keeps reminding me why I do this. And it's a funny thing producing content and just sharing it out there, especially when someone can just take it, listen for a walk, and then never has to get in touch with you and say, thank you so much. And not that I'm seeking thanks. I really love it. I mean, I could show up and talk to interesting people every week till the end of time. But um, it does help me know what you're vibing with, what you need. Uh, whenever I see, oh, wow, you know, that show got shared like eight times. Maybe we need to do more on women's health or maybe we need to do more on kids or uh, environmental toxins, whatever it is, you know, low tox spans across food, body, home, mind, and the planet. So we could go anywhere. And if you keep telling me what's working for you, what you're loving, uh, what you're really getting a lot out of, then that tells me what we need to do more of for you. So that's the competition. This month, share your favorite couple of shows, one or two on socials, either Instagram stories or Facebook. As long as you tag at Lotox Life, I'll be able to see it. And I will draw two winners from all those shares who will win both of my books signed and delivered to you. Thank you, guys. Uh, now, show number 300 is a brilliant one. I have brought back 
one of our all-time most listened to guests uh, and we were giggling. I said, Maggie, it's like I'm, I'm having a little annual chat with you these days. It's Maggie Dent uh, and she is a national treasure here in Australia. Uh, those of you who don't perhaps know her work worldwide, Maggie's an Australian parent, author, so very specialised on the parenting experience, but she has so much experience in education, counselling, uh, running conferences, uh, running retreats. There's nothing this woman can't do <laughs> and hasn't done already when it comes to raising our kids to be resilient, comfortable in their own skin, to feel heard, to feel healthy in their own bodies. Uh, she's just an absolute joy. And I think I've had many moments on my parenting journey where I've thought, what would Maggie do for this? And I would look up on YouTube and sure enough, she would have recorded a Maggie's moment on that exact thing. And uh, as I say to her today in the show, whenever she gives advice or shares wisdom, it feels like it always comes wrapped in a good warm quilt with a cup of tea. Uh, she's written so many best-selling books now, uh, and we've actually had her on the show twice, which I alluded to. So if you really love today's show, or if you're not raising or caring for girls and you want to look at what it's like to raise boys, uh, show number 115 will be for you, or show 243, I loved. We did a parenting hour of power, and that was focused on kids feeling comfortable in their skin and resilience and things like sporting competitions and school and so social groups, all of that came up there and I found it just so incredibly valuable as so many of you did. She's also the host of her own podcast, Parental as Anything on the ABC. So I know you are going to love this conversation when I hook into it in a little minute. I want to tell you about our two beautiful sponsors, our major sponsor, uh, Oz Climate, uh, brilliant air filters and dehumidifiers. We're coming into spring here in Australia, and that often means people's allergies kick up. Uh, there's a ton of construction going on now that there's a bit less rain. So there's a bit of dust flying around in the cities and it couldn't be a better time to invest in an air filter. If someone in your home or yourself is impacted by these seasonal changes or pollution, an air filter can really change the game. It can also change the game when you're perhaps living in an, a house that has a bit of mold or you can't afford to remediate just yet or you can't afford to move, but you do need cleaner air. It can really help tide you over until such a time that you can be in a healthier space. Uh, I can't recommend the Winix air filters enough. You have 10% off those air filters, <clears throat> excuse me, and their dehumidifiers this whole year. So you've only got a few months of the year left, which is crazy to me, but your code is LOWTOXLIFE on the checkout. And you can also give them a buzz, discuss your floor plan and house space about what kind of size you need of unit if you're not too sure. Uh, we're in a two-bedroom apartment and we have two compact 16-litre um, dehumidifiers and a couple of the compact Winix air purifiers and that does us just fine because it's a small place. But if we were moving to somewhere bigger, we would be looking at something bigger. Uh, also, that uh, not just a small place but a very dry place so we just don't feel like we need to mop up much humidity in here at all, which I'm, of course, very grateful for with my SIRS and mold illness background. Um, but, yeah, Lotox Life is your code. 
10% off their already discounted prices for dehumidifiers and Winix air, air filters. We also have returning because this just was a brand that everybody fell over themselves for once they tried the Manuka Skin Saver and had things clear up on their skin that they never thought would resolve. They'd tried everything. I know people with skin issues. Uh, it's a group of people. You might be one of them where you are, you've become basically a mental catalog for every possible product that might be used for eczema, dermatitis, psoriasis, uh, um, hives, uh, and nothing's worked. And I mentioned by, uh, the Manuka Skin Saver there because we did a special offer on it last time and we just got so many rave reviews. It was brilliant. So I said, you guys are very popular. I think we should do something else. And sure enough, they're here giving you a whopping 20% off their entire range with the code LOTOX. And this is for both US and Australian customers. Sorry to everybody else, but I do get excited when we have a brand where we can share with some of our overseas listeners as well. So Americans, get amongst it. It is good stuff. You have both of the um, links. So there's an Australian link and there's an American link for this. Two places you can grab it. You can go to my Instagram bio at Lotox Life and uh, it'll, the two shopping links are there, one for America, one for Australia, or on the show notes. So head to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast, click on today's show, and you will see as you scroll down where the uh, brand offers are, you'll see both of those codes there. Enjoy. Uh, it's a gorgeous Australian family business, super powerful natural remedies, uh, a small but impactful range. I will say that. And I really think you should give a couple of things a go. The Self Heal Salve has won a bunch of awards this year. And uh, that's also a great product. But Manuka Skin Saver, honestly, uh, such a good product. Hey, um, uh, my sister just bought three more of them actually for my little nephew who's battling a bit of eczema at the moment. Um, so we're loving it. I know you guys are loving it and it's great to be able to bring you that 20% off with the code LOTOX. That's it for me. Let us head right into this brilliant chat with Maggie Dent on raising girls. Enjoy. Hello, Maggie. I'm always so excited to have you back. Uh, Alex, it's so good. We do always have a really good chat, don't we? We do. And honestly, you always feel like you bring to the table any piece of advice comes wrapped up in a doona and with a hot cup of tea. <laughs> it just always feels like we're going to be okay. And that's why yeah. you are honestly yeah. one of my favourite people <laughs> um, to guide us through some of the tougher aspects of being a human. And today we're talking about our girls. So we've talked about boys. You've written a couple of books that were focused on boys before, but I love that uh, in the early part of your gorgeous girl book, you do point out that you have a ton of experience with girls as an educator, as a counsellor. But one of the things I didn't know you used to do was run women's retreats. And so I want to start there because obviously running women's retreats you would see the baggage that arrives from lifelong identity, uh, maybe malformation because of what happened in the early years, uh, crisis, unpacking trauma that was never addressed, or even just the social construct that makes us 
feel all this pressure as girls and women to be good and to please and to consider everybody and everything before ourselves, what were you seeing in those retreats that maybe started to make you think uh, more about the childhood experience and what's being left unsaid? Yeah, so that it first started because I actually really discovered I had a panic attack on the ABC radio when I was presenting an afternoon program. I'd never really struggled with anxiety. So I then went and did a little bit of Tai Chi and a little bit of something else. And then I suddenly decided when the calmer I was, wow. And um, then I thought I'd run uh, relaxation classes for women because I knew we we're all pretty stressed and for teenagers. And then at the end of a the night, they said, I don't want to go home. Can you run a day? So I ran a day relaxation one, and that's exactly what is it that's doing your head in that's making you create feelings of anxiety. Usually it's the past or the future. It's very rarely what's happening right now. And then they said, let's do a weekend. <clears throat> now, it all coincided with me doing quite a bit of personal growth work on myself. And what I discovered is we have kind of three layers to our personality, Alex. We've got the ego on the outside, which the world sees, you know, and in that ego, you know, is the people pleasing. It's the um, wanting to wear what, what is safe and what others will approve of. Like, you know, my day, I was a bit weird because I just wore daggy tracksuit pants because I was home with feral boys for about five or six years. And whereas now, if I was doing it now, the leisure wear market, man, it's, wow, right? Yeah. Can you see mm. the shit? That didn't happen then. No. And then, so in that, in that mask is actually where we... Um, you know, we criticise ourselves, we criticise others and, and we're really, it's, it's not a good place to be, mm. but it's also got a healthy space to it. You know, I, I can't go out and run a seminar for 200 parents, you know, in my Ugg boots and my PJs, you know, mm. it, it's respectful to put some, you know, look a little bit professional, right, which is why when I get home, the first thing off the bra and the first thing on the Ugg boots. Um, so in the middle of our personality is the egos on the outside, the shadow. Yeah. And this is where we bury our deepest, dark stuff that, to be honest, and especially as little girls, we don't have a chance to really discharge mm. and we hold it and we've got these unbelievable memories. And I'll share a couple of those stories while we're talking today. And then on the inside is this kind of, you could call it the, you know, whatever, it, it's a sacred space of goodness and light, whether if you have a faith, it is, but it's a human spirit, it's a soul, it's, and we've all got that. But what happens in life is if the ego gets to convince you, you don't have it. Mm. Um, and how do I get what I want? And, and, and then, and the shadow is pulsing, it crushes that beautiful part. So I just decided metaphorically, I would kind of do some things and activities Without them realising, it wasn't going to be a great big, I'm going to sit down and teach you. No, it was experiential. You know, mm. quite often we started with a piece of Play-Doh and you had to make something or draw something. And, oh, that brings it up already. You know, this won't be good enough. Oh, she's got a much better picture than me. Well, she's got, oh, you know, gosh. So we, I teased it out, but I also had learned that you can't be really honest emotionally um, until you're grounded in your body. So I did a, we did a lot of dancing, very bad dancing with me <laughs> dancing very badly because I wanted to really thump and wake up these bodies. And then what it, it kind of spontaneously kind of comes out over the weekend. And then I guide them through to find that place. You know, we did do, you know, massage um, where a woman had to lay for 20 minutes and allow someone to either do a head massage, a hand massage or feet, two women at once. And I had more, women start sitting up after four minutes. Oh, someone else's turn. No, you've got, no. 
And in that space, they often felt more love than they'd felt for years, right? And then we, then the dancing became something quite different. And then we celebrated and then we owned the stories that were holding us back. And then the, the letting go of those horrible things we've been telling ourselves in a safe circle of women where who shared, who laughed and cried with us was profound. So who left at the end of that weekend was someone they had forgotten. You know, some of them had never danced as freely like that since they became a mother, basically. Um, and I had funny emails from, um, from the partners, the male partners saying, oh, my gosh, I don't know what you did, but this is the first time I've seen my wife in 22 years like this. She is just shining with happiness. So can you see it's a journey? And when it's not one that necessarily means you have a mental illness or there's something really wrong with you with a label, we, this is what women used to do, Alex. We used to go to a moon lodge or together we would laugh, cry, dance, be honest um, and move stuff. But nowadays it just gets built inside us, puts pressure on our nervous system and the person we end up hating the most is ourselves. Mm. And, we're, and those stories we're telling ourselves aren't even facts. No. That's the crazy <laughs> thing. We operate in fiction and define <laughs> ourselves through fictional statements yeah. to ourselves. And yeah. that just that blows know, my mind that we could do that. As such and that was smart one of the you know, stories I shared in the book, which was something that my mum was not the warm, loving mother everyone hopes for. Um, and even though I spent a lot of time with my dad, who just accepted me as I was, she convinced me there was something wrong with me because I was obviously unlovable, therefore not worthy of love. And, you know, I'd never amount to anything because I was loud. She wanted me quiet. You know, I hated dresses. She wanted me liking girly stuff. And, and often I would speak the truth and she didn't like that. And so you know, when I got to uni, I thought the only good thing about me is the fact I'm smart, right? I'm good at writing, you know, which is an irony because it's actually what I do now. But, and I failed my first essay at, at university. It was on politics. So it's a sign I didn't need to do that. But you know what? That mask of fake lies that I'd convinced myself that said the only thing good about me was that cracked. And I honestly thought there's no point living no one's going to be able to love this person if there's nothing good about me. And I went back and I tried to swallow a bottle of pills. It was an impulsive suicide attempt at 18 and a half because of a lie, because of a story that I had made up as a consequence of what had happened to me. And the irony, other irony is the fact that that moment, fortunately I didn't succeed, but it was the epiphany that I realised how fragile we are as teens that made me go into teaching rather than journalism or law so do you see what I mean so and we yeah. and every your now and then rock I'll, bottom became your mess became your message well we it, it's the yeah. tr- the wound becomes the gift mm. gosh I know right so you're right and then the other stories you know that we tell ourselves particularly they escalate up in the teen years you know and that was before we had filters and Instagram where and everything our girls are honestly you know, the big thing in, in adolescence is we're hungry to belong. And girls' hunger to belong isn't the same as most boys. And ah, so that's interesting. Yeah, how is, yeah, how so is boys, it different? Boys' hunger to belong is they just want to get cred, credibility. They just want to, if they can make their mates laugh or do stuff that, you know, and that's why they're doing some appalling things at the moment partially, um, they jump off a tall building. Like they just, they've just got no impulse control. And they just, they want to belong in a physicality way, not a words way. 
whereas girls from very early on, we're wired very differently in our friendship formations, which is why they're really complex and complicated and uh, confusing, is that we are still biologically wired as a group of girls living in a an, um, you know, closed community that we, um, we are wired to tend and befriend. So our job is we do take care of those more vulnerable as we grow older. It's wired into us as girls, which is another reason why we often put others before ourselves. And then what happens to do that successfully have to have a group of other women. So it's about how do I form alliances? And alliance building is really, really important, but it's <clears throat> a girl's sense of self-worth is how others particularly girls are going to see her and oh my god it just happened the other day my I happened to be with one of my granddaughters who's quite she's a rooster orchid so she's feisty but she's really sensitive and she's getting dressed for her very first book week all was going well until the morning when she put it on and then she said but what if the I don't think the other girls will like it and I just about went and hit my head on the wall She's, she's not had that message from her mom or me or anyone around her, but she's already got that message. And if it's her first book week, she's it's five, her first right? Book week, right? Five. She didn't know everyone else was going to be dressed up. She didn't know, but she just decided herself because the two things that really do in that rooster orchid little girl um, is jealousy and embarrassment. Mm. Like I'm always jealous that someone else is getting more cred than me. So you can see our teenage girls. Yes. They want to put up something so people like or validate it. But, of course, it's a fake image. It's a fakeness. So we're actually getting them to like a fake version of ourselves, which, heck, it was hard enough trying to like the real version of ourselves. So can you see how they yeah. now can actually struggle more mm. to find authentic worth because the world is still telling most girls your appearance is what defines you, not mm. your capability of you know, singing, dancing, um, you know, uh, doing wonderful things for the world, including making mum a cup of tea. No, <laughs> your appearance. Yeah. You know? And if you're not and right, they all trying to look the same. Like those eyebrows. What about those scary eyebrows? <laughs> we didn't have that before, right? But now yeah. it's common for 13 and 14-year-old girls to want to get them completely lasered off so they can have them tattooed on. Oh, that's insane. You see, we, we see that, but we're not in amongst it. Where no, of course. We belong. Absolutely. They, they're going to love me for my eyebrows. So sad. It's Yeah. It well, okay, this really pisses me off because I was driving into my local, fa local uh, shopping centre, gosh, it was two years ago now, and the boom gate often has ads on it, like an, on a little scrolly thing that drops down. And this boom gate had... Lips to make you lovable, $399. And it was for the cosmetic um, filler place uh, in the arcade. And and I just thought there are eight-year-old girls who would then be looking at their lips wondering, are my lips going to make me lovable? And, you know, and, and then 20-year-old impressionable girls who haven't had a boyfriend for, say, six months or a year or never, who are going, oh, that's what the problem is. My lips need to be more lovable. No, but this is but if you haven't had the right. rock-solid grounding. It's worse on the next oh. page is that, you know, Honey Bidette have these enormous pictures in shopping centres of women with chains and things around them being choked mm. that's also normalizing that must be what we do later as women we have to not only blow up our lips and have fake eyebrows and be tiny weenie and not eat um we have to look and that's 
So we're all mature and we're looking back at it. We have a prefrontal cortex. Our girls are not. And I discovered with that survey of nearly five. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because that's Yeah, when little girls are actually being fat shamed in daycare at four years of age, we have got a serious problem. Mm. Which is yeah, my son was called fat. Um, he's just a kid that has a bit of a belly. Like he just he's not fat. He's super healthy, but he's not built like skin and bones. He's just not that type. And a lot of little boys are, of course. And so if you look a bit different, oh, totally. I had two um, of those. Skin yeah. and bones with a tummy. But mm. also, um, I was at he one got of called my fat at seven. Fat at seven and came home and asked me about. It. Yeah, we have girls now. Um, you know, almost developing early disordered eating because they've been told that by a nasty girl who's decided I'm just going to get rid of that one um, out of because I don't want her and I will gather a new alliance group. And, oh, my goodness, have I heard some stories since I've been on the road with that. Um, but that girl doesn't forget that. And this is the other, if we can go that way just for a bit, Alex, and that is one of the things that fascinated with my granddaughters was their memories. Oh my God. I just could not believe what they can remember. And so I, that was part of the survey. Has anyone else found that? Or was it just the intelligent gene pool that my granddaughter said? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <It wasn't. laughs> and oh my goodness, that's exactly it. And then as I was writing that, of course, up comes some memories from my own girlhood that ones that yes do sometimes bring me joy but we're biologically wired to remember painful memories over well, it's the part world. of our protective me- mechanism yes, isn't it yeah exactly that and so I thought yeah. oh and up came that one um and I you know shared that the story that um you know when I, I read that the forward that Tracy Spicer wrote and she called me a, a national treasure or something but she wrote these beautiful things I was flooded with horrible feelings and it I had to go for a really big walk because that's how I figure out what's going on. Disgust and shame and dread. Wow. Because I'm reading that forward thinking, oh, yes, she is. She I know, really right? Is such a and treasure. So off I went and <laughs> wow. it took an hour and a half. And then I remembered when I was about seven, uh, getting up at an assembly and I did a really good job reading a poem because I'm a bit arty and a bit confident. And as I went to sit down feeling, oh, I've done okay, an elderly gentleman reached over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, girly, um, little girly, you need to make sure you don't get too big for your boots. That came up. That came up with Tracy's thing because I remember it vividly how it felt and I, all the same emotions came up. And this is what we have to kind of explain, especially to the loving men in our life, that sometimes something will trigger us and we'll be flooded and we'll have nothing to do with something that may have happened in the moment but we get equally as distressed and upset with it. And it takes us a while to work out what it is. Um, and saying what's the matter with you probably doesn't help. But it is it is that there is a slight difference in that emotional intensity of us as girls, partly driven by estrogen, partly by a slightly different way the brain interacts. They're quite similar, but oh my goodness. I and and it happened a few times during the book where I suddenly remembered something else and I thought. I see it with my granddaughters. They remind me of the time we accidentally tripped tripped her out of the pram when I went to a playground. She's nearly eight and she still reminds me, you know, because we're wired. So can you see why I wanted to make sure we understand why in that moment, and that's why it's a whole chapter on emotions and emotional coaching, we have to let those little girls process that, feel it, cry about it, be angry about it, and just 
really be present in that. We don't have to fix it or rescue them because when the, when the energy leaves the body, then it won't be as big a thing that will come rushing back when she's older, either as a tween or a teen or as an older woman, even right up to 67. So that stuff is quite different. Boys often don't want to talk. As I think I've shared in the one about boys, um, that when boys' limbic brains fired up and they're upset, the next part of the brain is actually the body that fires up, not the word centre, whereas with girls and women, it's the word centre. And if we don't listen in those moments, create safe spaces for them, then they're going to have a heightened tension in the emergent, in the you know, nervous system, which is kind of like that, you know, that shadow layer. And they're more likely to be reactive and get upset in the wow. following days. And so all those times you tell a little girl to cheer up yes. and move on. Yes. That's She's then getting there. stored. Yes, stored mm. up. <laughs> that's why with our retreats were very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> more retreats, ladies, more <laughs> retreats. Book yourselves in. Um, okay, so you mentioned Rooster Orchid there, and I know your work, but people are tuning in from all around the world. Can you talk a little bit about perhaps the different, I mean, it's obviously a, a mild generalisation, but you've got a lot of experience. You've, you know, took a lot of surveys for this book. Um, so there are some pretty common themes coming up. What types of girls do we see in the main as parents? Okay, so the very first thing that we start with in the book is to say, okay, your daughter is a one-off. She's never been here before. She's not like any other previous sibling or daughter in your family. And she's like a puzzle that you've got to work out because you don't parent all your children the same way. And the first one you have to look at is, on that continuum of temperament, yes, we do have a tendency to land somewhere on that. And quite often, kids will land around the middle, a bit of each. But when they get at the other end, the rooster is the feisty, um, demanding, brave, fearless, loud. I was a rooster. Um, sometimes a heightened sense of their own importance. Um, yeah, they argue before they're verbal. They're just really strong, right? They so autonomy in toddlerhood and childhood is unbelievably important to them, whereas lambs at the other end are quite gentle, easy, a, bit, a bit sensitive, not so quick to warm up in certain situations, not as quick to kind of, you know, and, and that's okay. We need both. But it's when they're stuck, that's the problem. And then over the top, there's another couple of things, um, and that is the orchid and the dandelion. Now, dandelions are these cruisy kids, and they can be a lamb dandelion sensitive but no real dramas they just flit through life nothing really big in anything but the orchid you'll know about an orchid you know that's the 25 minute meltdown because you gave them the wrong pink cup and you didn't cut that the right way and you looked at them and you know you name it it's the really reactive in so many ways now what happens um, when I discovered that I had one of these girls, and I, first I wrote an, a blog about rooster orchids, but whoa, when my sons and daughters-in-laws were telling me about tantrums that lasted an hour to an hour and a half, I had never seen that in the house of boys. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm curious because I'm always curious. And I was present with a few of them. And one of the things was they did try to fix it. And then they tried the what's often recommended is, um, oh, you look like you're angry right now and that's okay. But, of course, you don't say that to a rooster or because I'm not angry. <laughs> and that starts another cycle of the yelling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're trying to tell them 
what yeah. they're you might have been right but they don't like being told so it was like oh wow and I was able to hold that space around them to let that come through but when I really examined underneath quite often they felt there was a massive injustice going on at the moment uh, you had failed as a parent um I haven't had as much time with you as the other. And so that sensitivity to that was really, really big for them to understand. And then, of course, over the top of that, you've got introverts and extroverts. So I coded it out so you could have a really good conversation with whoever you're co-parenting with if you're lucky enough to have one to kind of work out, okay, so she is. So the situations that really are difficult for her are these ones. So let's work out ways that we will help her with those or Next time she's in that state, right, we'll just let that glitter jar go crazy. We'll, we'll be nearby. We won't tell her what she's feeling. <laughs> so, in other words, we will allow it. We'll acknowledge she's having a difficult time. And we're going to accept whatever it is that's being discharged from the body so that she can eventually come to her own state of regulation and calmness. And it isn't easy in those years. However, I'm watching mine now who are six and seven and I see them now they're into that they're able to regulate themselves very rarely is there a tantrum or meltdown that lasts more than a couple of minutes so it's it's about persisting through that and allowing it rather than getting really frustrated and I've had dads tell me they find it particularly triggering because they feel they can't fix it and also a, a woman or a girl being really upset triggers them because of the same, you know, conditioning for men, your job is to be the protector. Well, he doesn't know how to protect her from a tantrum. And he get, then he gets, guess what, instead of feeling kind of sad with her, or he gets angry with himself. And that one I've thought was an interesting unfolding as I've been talking to dads, um, you know, on the journey since the book came out. So interesting. And so it sounds to me like when we do the work to be with the tantrum and the person having it, then we actually fast track the self-regulation capability as opposed to trying to quieten the tantrum, push it away, push it back, fix the tantrum, fix the reason the tantrum's happening. Um, that actually prolongs the inability of the person, the child, as they grow up into an adult to regulate. And I think I, you know, explore the wow. fabulous work of Dr. Mona Delahook, because her book came out, and also <clears throat> Dr. Lisa Barrett, where we, you know, that's exactly what they're saying. So in other words, a child, and a, a girl doesn't deliberately, you know, choose, um, and they don't deliberately choose to behave in a way that you don't want them to either. It's a sign that they're already in distress. So um, that's that key window again of um, girls can display it in a much louder and, and you know, they're often linguistically stronger than boys. So how they express their distress sometimes is really awful things they will say. And I've heard a couple of mine, you know, you're the worst mummy in the whole wide world and I wish you would die. And but they're just really angry at the world because mm. whatever's going on has upset them. And when they're upset, they're not rational. And our job is just to hold that space and wait till it comes back. And I know it almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But yeah, it does. Regulate, I... stay calm yourself. And then they're learning that you're still going to love them. You have a capacity to love them while they're at their worst. That's huge in what really we learn. That's what I never had. I never had it at all. 
Oh, it's huge. And I, I, I've got a boy who um, had issues self-regulating in sports competition and uh, in anything tricky at school. And it would just be this huge um, bubble up and then inability to process. And we worked on things. We did some fantastic neurofeedback. It was wonderful. Like we've had a wonderful experience helping him through it. Um, And I feel really grateful to have been able to do that and get the resources. And then we're out the other side and I see a poor boy. Sorry, I know we're doing a show about girls, but it just (laughs) happened to be a boy. And this does happen to all children. Of course it does. Yeah. Um, So uh, having a huge meltdown, the things he was telling himself, I can't play tennis, I suck at this, this is effed and all this. Yep. It wasn't at all about the other boy. It wasn't about the competition. It was this, I mean, it was just heartbreaking. Trying to show how big the feeling was. That's it. And I yeah. recognised that because I had experienced a, a similar, not quite as bad, but a similar experience as a parent. And to hear another parent say, I can't, it, I, this bad sportsmanship is unacceptable. And to be able to just gently say it's actually, it's not bad sportsmanship. No, this kid is actually that. just having a huge amount of trouble processing this moment. Uh, and, and Alex, what you've touched on is how that can become um, like a repetitive thinking process. But what we also know in most girls and women is that we have a bigger tendency to get in stuck into ruminating loops. Hang on, I'm just <clears throat> and what that means is we get into that cycle of I'm useless, I'm dumb, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm I'm, and we just can't get out of it. And it can continue and continue. And that's when we get to be called moody. And the mm. other thing we know, um, you know, that kind of, and it was interesting because one of my beautiful granddaughters decided got into a mood about something with her um, brother and she was just like this on the end <laughs> of the bed. Yeah. She was feeling the feels and I'm really great. And she's really good. We've actually, you know, had lots of chats with her mummy and you knock at the door and say, not ready yet. You don't want no one coming in until she's cooled her jets a bit, right? <clears throat> and then when she's ready and let you in, um, you just sit near her. That's all you do. Don't talk. Don't ask. Don't do anything. She just wants you there. But she doesn't want you there when it's really bad. And then um, sometimes, you know, when she's ready to come out, she'll still be dark. And um, and if it goes on kind of when we, we've talked to her about that, you know, when it gets stuck, how can you tell mummy you feel like you're stuck and you can't stop feeling like that? And then what were the things we looked at? Because, you know, you can't talk to them about neurochemicals, but basically... Um, is there a time it feels okay to have felt yucky like that? And then um, what could we do to help you get out of that? And she has, um, she's got a funny little joke book um, or she's got, <clears throat> she goes and does some drawing or because she's soccer mad, I've set up some links to find uh, Sam Kerr uh, kicking goals on YouTube. So we've actually got some techniques in place, but I am going to say that this is one of the things that is quite different with most girls and most boys. Boys tend to blow up and move through because it does. It moves through. Oh, definitely. And then sometimes for us girls, you know, it can be hours before we have, even if we've been heard and it's, it's kind of, it can be a mood, but it, sometimes we just get stuck with there's a lot. I'm still going through the layers of it. Mm. So again, what and is that really, because of the word center versus yep, the physical totally. body? We're yeah. Still going in our head, we're talking to ourselves about it. 
So what's the sad bit too is, um, you know, after 12, little that's when your, you know, self-talk really starts to escalate. And, of course, if you've only, never had positive, loving messages, then your negative self-talk will be your biggest enemy and it will pull you into dark moods, which was me as a teen. I was a very moody teen. Even though I love sport, I really generally love school, I yeah, wasn't one for friendships. I never opened up about anything. I was really aloof and secretive. It took me a while to realize I'm also an introvert. So, <clears throat> um, I, I actually, I never, they never had problems with me wanting to go to teenage parties because I couldn't think of anything worse <laughs> than being in a space with people I didn't know. And, you know, I just wasn't that girl. Yeah. It took me years to realize it though. And then, um, so for my big feelings, what I worked for me, quite intuitively on the farm, as I used to just run and then walk for hours in the bush and in the paddock or walk around the sheep or I walk out my feelings and I still do it today, mm-hmm. which is very much a boy-man way. Yeah. And could that out. be the influence of your male-dominated? So. Yeah, um, yeah my, dad, my dad would have walked and youth. wouldn't have spoken and, and he was comfortable with silence, which is a beautiful gift because that's why I became such a good counsellor later. I'm completely comfortable with people not saying anything. And also in palliative care, I hold this great safe space of silence, which a lot of people feel uncomfortable with. And I just co-breathe, hold a safe co-regulated space until you're ready. And do you think, uh, is that something you advise us doing more with our young girls, given it takes a long time to be thinking? Yeah. yeah, and not to come back too soon to revisit it. Like, And I think one of the things I encourage in the book is um, be able to check your girl's face when she comes home. You'll know what sort of day she's had. If she's the talkative, chatty one, well, she would have been quiet in the car. But what you do is create sort of a space that says um, it, you look like you've had a, a tricky day or you've had a, you know, a difficult day. Shall we have a couch chat? Do you want me to get... Um, snacks and we'll sit down together in other words create a space if she does want to talk but don't ask her what's wrong but you give that code code word says you know uh the couch i'm free it might she may take you up on it and then only talk for a few minutes or she might say not yet which apparently they do not yet later and then later on, they'll they'll find mum somewhere, and then it'll come tumbling out. Then because she had to process how to say what happened anyway. So, like I said, it's not always the same for each one, but I think it's that being heard. Um, that's that's the key, which is why so often we just oh, I can't be bothered. No one's going to listen to me anyway. And not being heard plays out in other areas of our lives when we are shut down, and people with big loud voices, particularly. <laughs> middle-aged men in politics and things um, just talk over the top of us. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, I was actually watching Footloose recently. <laughs> um, I'm taking my son through the catalogue of 80s movies that I loved as a kid. And every and, now and then you go. And but that what you were just talking about, like she wants to talk to her dad. You can see she wants to open up about some things she's really confused about. But he just keeps like moving on to the next thing and it doesn't even clock that there's actually more that that kid wants to say. And I think that's really part of um, the becoming a brave parent is buckling and up say, and just opening up. Yeah. Mm. Way earlier than you think. I mean, mm. 
and also they are pondering things so much more deeply, um, Alex. And I remember watching my 18-month-old granddaughter and um, she was standing in their apartment <clears throat> looking deep in thought. And you can tell they're actually really working it out, right? Yeah. Which of the two parents in the apartment are most likely to give me the biscuit I'm about to ask for? And so they are, I am going to say that, and it's not all girls, not in some boys, but they are so much deeper at working out how the world works. And, yes, that can become a little manipulative if they're a little bit on the rooster end, a little bit all about me. But they um, they are, and, and sometimes they really do want to, you know, I get the deepest conversations at times um, with my my granddaughters um and often it's they're just trying to figure out something they saw right why do people do this or something they'll say to me and 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 the key too is tell me what you know yeah before exactly. I tell you what so you tell me what you know or you tell me what you think and that's the being heard gold nugget right there because how often do we jump over the top and say well blip, 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 blip. Yeah, we define it before they've had a chance to actually verbally explore it themselves. And then the next thing is that unbelievable um, importance of the imaginary and um, play for girls because they bring home stuff sometimes that I can't talk to you about that they will play out with um, their toys or within their, you know, imaginary spaces. And I, wow, I've watched that. I've watched one of my granddaughters um, who had just had a new brother arrive, give birth with a teddy bear up a shirt, you know, like over a period of time before the baby arrived, after the baby arrived, grunting. She knew there was a lot of heavy breathing. I don't know where she got that from. Um, I had to, she, you know, there was another one with um, being a doctor and she just checked my COVID symptoms each time I had to go for an appointment with her. And I, she weaves that into what's going on, you know, um, and I, that's exactly what they do, which is why Bluey was, is such an incredible series because those two girl dogs, you know, and a confused dad for a while, that they show you that this is how they can make sense of the world without logic and rational thought is let's mm-hmm. play it out and we'll see where it goes to. And um, yeah, so it's, like I said, they're, they're so much more. Boys' imaginary play is not as deep or complex unless they've had a sister who's been able to uh, give them the guidelines of it. And that that's I've noticed as well. So we know some of it's just coming in on that conditioning early on um, that this is what girls do and boys do. But in the whole section on play, there's distinct um, differences when girls are not allowed to be as loud and noisy <clears throat> or the educators feel that girls should be playing the quieter games, we start telling them that they don't have to be noisy. And there was this really interesting research I found um, somewhere in the Scandinavian countries where the early childhood educator realised that if she took the girls aside, she had this activity where you jumped up and you walked up onto a table and you jumped onto a mattress and you could make a loud noise, that if she had the girls by themselves, very soon the girls are wanting to yell louder and go higher. But if the boys were there, they were containing themselves. So she's put that through all her early childhood settings that we need the girls to learn how to be loud and how to be brave without the conditioning of, you know, gender expectations over the top. And that happened to me again. Miss, One of mine is a really strong upper body girl, swung herself out of a cot at 18 months of age. 
with a sleeping bag on. Um, and at a climbing thing we have in our local community, you know, she was up there, you know, like 18 months, 20 months, just straight up, you know, and there were mainly dads suggesting someone got that little girl down because she's way too small to be up there. So, again, these are the messages we've got to, that's what I wanted to deconstruct some of the messages that are holding our girls back um, in a world. But fortunately, we've got good things happening, haven't we? We've got, you know, women playing amazing soccer and football and rugby. And so we're just saying, hang on a minute, they love that stuff to a point too, some of them. Some of them that don't want to do that, they're equally valid. Well, and some of our boys don't want to do that stuff that's either. It. We've got yeah. the boys who just the last thing they want to do is play that stuff. So I think that's what you know, what I discovered in that journey of that's why I had to write a book for young girls. I'm not doing a teenage one. Trust me, I am not going there. Um, was that, you know, the boys are a tough one. I had to deconstruct that because there's a fragility. But at the same time, let's celebrate that girls shouldn't have to be quiet, nice, um, you know, and dressed sweet. They could just be, we got to work out who they are and create. I love that. I think that's a key takeaway. You've I been do. given a puzzle. Yep. Uh, your job is to figure out, you know, who that, <laughs> what that puzzle is. Let that shine. Let it shine. Let the it glorious shine. picture that it becomes. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's it. it. Um, and it's so interesting in that, um, you know, because I, one of mine, um, once again, not quite two, stayed with us for a weekend before Christmas. She knew every single, she's, a, she's definitely a music, musical and arts girl. She knew every single, <laughs> oh, every single um, part of uh, Silent Night's song, and I still can't remember the second verse. Um, she knew, every, like there were five or six of complete Christmas carols she knew. And I still don't know them, but she, I just stunned because that's her thing. Like she went to Mary Poppins and she was in such awe. It was almost like a transcendent experience. But on the way home, she'd already basically learnt most of the words of, uh, you know, three or four of the songs. And it's her thing. But it's not mine. I still can't sing in tune, right? So that's the celebration is work out what is it that is her unique strengths. And, yes, of course we've got to help them with the things they're not as capable with, but that we've got to be careful that our school system says that this is how girls are in school. And, you know, sometimes they put those girls next to the boys who can't sit still. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about that because that's an interesting one, uh, education and uh, co-education versus single sex. I Like my instinct, not being an educator at all, is why would we silo everybody when real life we're all mixed in together? We've got to figure out how to, you know, um, all get along from early but at, from an education perspective the example you just gave could be a real hindrance for a girl going through school um being sat next to someone who they're not going to learn well next to yeah I think um there's a couple of issues under here and having been I taught in co-ed high schools um is that um the journey up to there really um isn't quite as challenging as the journey into puberty that's the development of you know the sexualized part of our children is going to emerge <clears throat> and that's you know that was what I felt was a concern but we do know that there is um, some significant research that shows that girls in girls only schools do tend to do better in the academic subjects that boys tend to achieve in but I haven't seen that so what I've seen um, 
is it's more the culture of the school or the college that they go to that is what shapes both our girls and our boys in the same space. And that really is determined not necessarily by tradition, although we do know that that some do, but it is the leader at the time that changes that condition. And that's one of the things why, you know, underneath everything, um, classroom practice, you know, there are times that um, 14-year-old boys that want to walk around a classroom because they do have more energy with the testosterone that's flowing around. However, as a teacher, rather than punish those boys, what I did was introduce brain breaks and get them up. And we all moved for about a minute or two, and that included the girls. And no girl went backwards because we had brain breaks. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, um, you know, and then we go down to the transitioning. We know that, you know, statistically girls transition better because they are absolutely thinking more deeply, have more words, uh, don't have the same need for physicality to move their bodies. Plus they don't have a penis, which Mm. forever (laughs) they want to touch. So there's a few different things that make it easier for a girl. And I think we are changing. I know we're changing in in early childhood, which is great because there for a time I kept seeing the same expectations like I heard an educator say to a little boy, um, you know, when he was a little bit upset, just use your words. Well, often they don't have words and feelings. And I think we're learning to be a little bit more aware that, you know, there are some significant shifts around that, um, you know, they can't necessarily colour in the lines as much, but why should we make it a competition? Why? You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. um, We're recognising that every single child has different um, <clears throat> capabilities as they transition into school. I still think there should be flexibility for those who have vulnerabilities, whether it's a girl or a boy. Um, But again, one of the things I discovered in the research was that girls, and it was a fairly significant one, it just said basically girls think they are smarter early on. And so what what our mindset and our belief system is helps to influence how we interact in the classroom. So that's often conditioned. Oh, you know, your dad wasn't very good either. You'll be, you know, whatever. And I hated school or whatever. Whatever you tell them, girls or boys. Um, yeah, so I think education is quite complex and we can't put it into neat boxes. And to be really honest, um, you know, our current mainstream schooling system doesn't suit an awful lot of our kids. And we are now really mm-hmm. contemplating looking at those. What alternatives do we have um, that can meet those needs? Because, yeah, and it's it's an unhealthy system at the moment, but I won't go there. I know. Uh, yeah, I'll just say one thing. Um, when um, my child was struggling to get motivated by geography in the first term and I asked him what he was doing and I just thought, God, we could just watch a really interesting doco on this and he'd be more excited about it. He'd probably be able to give a talk on it and um, and then we can move on and learn something else. Well, the very fact that we're still teaching facts that they have to learn rote learning to pass an exam in a world where it's already online. It's all there for us. Yeah. Just, that just doesn't make any sense for me at all. I absolutely get being able to construct arguments, being able to form things, being able to understand how to think properly, what I call metacognition. Absolutely. Get excited about learning something new, but I just, once again, why would you do that when even I look up stuff all the time? I mean, you know. That's it. What? So we've we've completely changed tack and we're not too worried about what's happening in class if he can't focus or is getting bored. We just watch really cool docos about that thing that we find either online or on Netflix, whatever. And then, of course, you've got a big bowl of uh, popcorn and... Yeah. Yeah. And so then he's doing centre of gravity 
experiments yep. with different things around the house and filming them to show his teacher and his teacher's Light. like oh wow this is great that's those lights so, are on that's, that's it not for all our kids is it no and <laughs> and i'm excited to see where we go i, I think it's now, Alex, remember it's we time. want to talk about one thing that i wanted to make yes i i do remember that um okay. so, so one of my concerns yes was um and I've noticed it for quite some time, our girls are going into puberty earlier. And from my research before this book, it was really um, quite obvious that um, our girls are heavier. You know, the whole Western diet is, you know, they everyone eats more. No one has the same, you know, issues that we did when we were in an area that had famine and then feast. And so we know that the kind of um, weight is one of the things that can trigger puberty. The second thing we actually recognise is that um, uh, girls who have a warm, connected relationship to their father begin to menstruate later, also um, become sexually active later. So it's another one of those influences. Um, and then the third one was um, what is the quality of the food? And then I came across Dr um, Leonard Sachs and he's written a book called Girls on the Edge. And... Um, that really was the, you know, I mean, I've read it before, but I had to read it again. So it's not necessarily how much our girls are eating. It's because around eight, there's this thing called adrenal androgens. And these are the first triggers for puberty. And once they get going, um, if they get started too early from eight instead of around 10, then there is a 50% chance that those particular girls are more likely to experience mental health issues. So the earlier the puberty has mental health issues, not just the fact that they, you know, may menstruate way too soon. So, um, and it's all those things that we've talked about before, endocrine disrupting stuff in foods, it's plastics, yeah. it's all the things that I know you're passionate about that, um, you know, again, we really have to be mindful of what is going into our beautiful girls' bodies, especially leading up to seven and we do not want them you know, developing breasts at eight and nine, which is happening at higher rates. Um, so I just wanted to mention that to be really the sorts of things we can do to prevent that. Um, what is the quality of food that we're offering our girls? And they don't have to go off on some crazy tangent. It's the same kind of, you know, a really good, you know, Mediterranean diet that's great. Um, this It was really concerning because some of these things are in all of that stuff that becomes trendy. Exactly. Uh, it's in the drinks that they drink. Yeah, just... in the soft plastics. I mean, I have been doing a lot of research into that area. Um, my second book on food really looks at ultra-processed food. So you would know this, Maggie, but 60 to 70% of the average Aussie shopping trolley is ultra-processed foods. And that is all soft plastic filled in a factory or soft plastic packaged it's on hot trucks on highways and in shipping containers across seas, which leaches the plastic chemicals into the food. It's an absolute disaster. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think um, the more that we can get our girls before, you know, and that's what Girlhood was really looking, leading up to about eight, the more we get our girls engaged in healthy patterns around food, but also helping prepare food, helping grow food. We, we create that um, mindset and I'm watching it with my, you know, beautiful granddaughters. Um, there's a difference, you know, around food in different houses. Um, but I, And I'm still that holistic cook. You know, once again, I, 
I still bake homemade things for my kids. They've never been the full quota of sugar in anything I've ever baked. I didn't tell the boys that. <laughs> but there is everything comes from scratch. You know, yeah, that's why yeah. Nanny has a veggie garden. That's why we eat our, you know, at the same time, my job as a, as a grandmother, I believe, is to make sure that my girls can work out that life, you know, how your body works is, again, way more important than what it looks and that we have a responsibility to give her not only the information, the tools, but the guts and the grit to want to be that sort of a girl. Yeah, that's you know, it. That doesn't have to have, you know, packets of crisps and things in the lunchbox because, you know, everyone else is having one. No, I'm sorry, it's not healthy enough. Mm. And, and then we've uh, got the issue of um, comparisonitis and yeah. dieting so early. So we've got puberty fat happening too early. happening in, yeah. uh, in daycare where so four-year-old we- girls calling each other fat. Um, and that, once again, starts to create a disordered thinking around food. And we have little girls stop eating and doing things because they don't want to be the fat girl because that means all the other girls won't like her. And mm. yet they're not fat at all. It's part of that, you know, what I call childhood nastiness that can actually shape how we see ourselves. And uh, and we have to have these conversations with our girls. We can't, if she's really upset about that, and if someone's done that, we need to talk to them about how amazing our bodies are. Mm, and that they it. there is so much more than just something we need to put food in for you know they 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 can give us everything we need in life and that that's linked to a brain that can also be clever and creative and artistic and again the whole girl needs to be our message for our girls and they will take it on board yeah they're sharp they're bright and they don't forget stuff that they don't <laughs> forget good stuff pretty much the same as they won't forget that comment from one girl when you're four who just was having a bad day. Yeah. And so I've had this, a few girlfriends talk to me about it and actually I brought a sticky date loaf to a a mother's night that we do once a term and a lot of the kids are girls in that group and all the boys descended upon the sticky date loaf. Everyone grabbed one, went back to their video games and all the girls kind of looked at it, looked at each other, who's going to have one, no one's having one. And these girls were 11 Yep, um, at the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this happens this yep. early. So can yep. you yeah. just give a little bit of yep. guidance to the Positive. girl mums and dads out there and carers because they're seeing this in the schoolyard. They're seeing the lunchboxes start to come home untouched. They're worried that an eating disorder might already be forming in their prepubescent girls, let alone puberty and beyond. What warm and loving ways can we approach those early signs of yeah, disordered that, eating? Yeah. Well, the war zone in the head for most women, and yeah, it's yeah. true, you know, and I, I've, I've spoken about this quite a bit on our retreats and things because who hasn't been out for a celebratory morning tea and there's one who um, has the skinny latte and won't touch any cake and that makes everyone else cringe, doesn't it? So I think I feel ashamed of wanting the cake and eating the cake. And I think that the thing is that the message is I talk to kids about 80, 20, that 80% of the time we eat as healthy as we can, but we do need the 20% that says we join into the celebratory food that makes life yes. so good, right? Yeah, that's it. And it is the birthdays and it's the it's the times we get together. It's the time when you have your grandparents over it, but we don't need it every single day of the week. And if we are a sweet tooth, then we need to look at how can I make some sweet snacks 
that are made with, you know, really good stuff that's good for our gut because you can, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the conversation and I really want them to be brave and bold to be able to just, you know, you don't have to have the largest piece, but you can certainly have a piece. And as it's going down, celebrate how good that is to be a part of that moment, that food is not the enemy and it actually can be our friend. I, I get that. And I'm actually not much of a sweet toother, which is really crazy because I've, you know, forever baked them for the boys. I'm much prefer give me cheese and bickies. Um, so, you know, I don't have that kind of, I, I don't think I've really ever bought myself a bought cake from anything except a French patisserie vanilla slice. <laughs> the only weakness I have out there that's bought somewhere made outside of our house. But if I bake something in the house that's going to be shared with my family, I'm right there. Not just because I know what goes in it, but because it's about us sharing joy together. You're absolutely right. The 80-20 rule, because what I find is when we absolutely deny ourselves, we create this resentment towards ourselves, towards life, towards the sweet bits. And we all really, we can't afford to do that in terms of that space as we go, especially 11 to puberty, there are so many stressors we're going to have that are going to cause our head. We've got to have some things that nurture us and bring us joy. And that doesn't mean to say we have to go and buy giant It doesn't have to be food every time. No, yeah, exactly. and it doesn't have to yeah. be food. But there are small, tiny snacks now, which I love. What's the problem with one of them? Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be this size of this and go, woo, 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 woo. As somebody said to me, I've talked to my daughter and I just say to her, if we really, really feel like we're having that sort of a day that we'd love a sweet treat, we walk 2Ks to the local deli, buy an ice cream and we walk home and we chat all the way home. We've had our ice cream, we've had our exercise and we've had our connection. I thought, whoa, what a great. Perfect. perfect. There's actually this fabulous educator and nutritionist on Instagram, the Glucose Goddess, um, and she's a Frenchie. So she's not going to be giving up all the finer things in (laughs) in life. And I really love how she teaches because she shows you the insulin spike graphics of doing something one way and doing something the other way. So she's like, here's your ice cream protocol. So it's not stop yeah. eating the ice cream. No. It's go for, have a glass of lemon water, then go for a walk to the ice creamery, have your ice cream walk home. And I said to my son last night, check this out, what the glucose goddess said, should we go have a gelato tonight? He was thrilled at this impromptu gelato outing. Oh, and he's got um, a double winner because mm. boys often in movement opens the word centre. Oh, yeah, we had chats about all you sorts really of things. really chat, and that's mm-hmm. connection. Yeah. The core is the greatest thing that every child still needs is a loving connection. So, again, that's what we've always connected around food. We've always connected around those sorts of activities and, and now we can hardly get them out of the bedroom. There needs to be a celebratory, um, yeah. What's the night of the week that we're going to have one of our favourite desserts? Yeah, I love it. And now you just mentioned can't get them out of the bedroom. So to finish up, I would love to talk about girls and screens because that's another area of concern. What kind of things can we model as healthy boundaries and messaging around technology in those early years that girls can take with them as they grow? All right. The very first thing, if you can, is have as little handheld screens as possible in the first five years because you displace the time that children need to be moving. So passivity 
creates all sorts of problems for children. They're not moving enough, not jumping enough. They're not using cross-patterning enough. They're not using all their senses and the sensory stuff can't happen when you're focused on a little screen. So that's just the benchmark. But of course, that doesn't count when you're driving a very long distance, you're on an airplane, and that's exactly when they need to be there. And then what is it that they're doing when they're on it is the second area of concern. So watching, um, you know, if they love Bluey and they can watch Bluey on it for a while while you're on the plane, that's, that's not going to do any harm. But we've got to be really careful of what are they watching if they're on kids' YouTube? Does it have advertisements that promote fast food or sexualized clothing or things that you do not want your daughter to be conditioned in. So again, it's those boundaries are really, really important. And then I'd look at what, you know, that what are they doing? What can they do that's creative and exciting? And sometimes it's, do you know that you can find out how to draw a unicorn really mm. quickly, which was really helpful for me one day. So I think it's what things can bring joy and can be part of their learning journey. But I want you to not abandon the TV because the mm. TV uh, our girls are still doing stuff. If you've got boys are doing somersaults, we've got girls, they'll often be working or colouring or doing stuff and wandering around. And we also know that the same kind of program over and over again is a bit like um, it's a really good calming activity. So they're just some basics. As when, you, forward, when you say the same program, do you mean yeah. like something with instalments? No, the same episode of the same thing. And Oh, wow. Okay. So if they watch the same whatever, even Peppa Pig who annoys me because she's often using relational aggression and dad's a bit of a buff head. But if they watch the same episode over and over, the brain doesn't have to predict what's going to happen. They right. actually know so it, the brain calms down. It's the predicting that can excite them. And as your girls grow, be really careful that you're modelling healthy usage of your own phone and that's telling them what you're doing. Look, I'm just on the WhatsApp group checking what time dance is on Saturday. I'm I'm, I'm doctor's appointment i'm ordering the food get what i mean yes when they see you so they don't just it, see you on it yes on yeah, it right that's so and then good. also from around six possibly for for our rooster orchid girls you better check if you have her permission whether you can share anything of her on there because that's when they start to feel really you need to check with me i don't know if i want that photo shared up there um, and respect that because that's another place. Where is their consent? You're creating a digital footprint without their permission. And I have worked with some girls who have discovered what mum's put up online when they're 14 and it's almost fractured the relationship for life. So be very careful about those things. And then I guess the biggest one is delay the phone as long as possible. No question for her, as late as possible. What we're seeing online at the moment, what we're hearing online at the moment and the sexual predators that are getting little girls to take photographs of themselves, uh, they are five to eight. That wouldn't happen if they have not got access to the World Wide Web. We wouldn't run, let them run around out there on our main highways. We shouldn't let them run around on that one. We do have to be proactive. We do have to keep them safe and we do have to discover and keep well informed about how to do that. And I recommend uh, the e-safety commissioner has got the most brilliant site for once, a government site that's brilliant. <laughs> Yay, got to celebrate what's working. I know. And if anything mm. comes up that's not okay and you've seen something that looks like someone's teasing your daughter or, or following them or something, you contact them, they get it sorted. And, again, we just it is one of the biggest challenges, Alex, because we know that our girls are being shaped by what they see and they should never see what they are seeing and there are... Um, even images in kids' YouTube sometimes if you don't have the premium version where they can see that beheading or live-streamed suicides or um, very graphic, very awful pornography 
that not only objectify but dehumanise um, our girls and our women. So it is the biggest possible contaminant to how our girls will grow. However, when managed maturely, responsibly, it can be an asset to their learning as well. So, and heck, where would I be without being able to Skype and FaceTime my grandkids all over Australia? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> Gosh, no, um, I, I totally agree. There are so many good things about technology. It's really about learning the boundaries and learning the the vocab to use around our kids so that they're not shamed into being secretive about it as well, which you definitely want to avoid. Oh, and that's one of the things. If you take it off them every now and then to punish them, then they're not going to come to you when they've seen something awful that's frightening. That's sad. Um, Dr. Christy Goodwin's another really good site for you to check out. And also Digi Social actually has an at-home kind of program that your kid can have an exploring how to be on line in a safe way before you even let them be online so I recommend those ones there's a few other goodies out there too yeah nice and before I let you go Maggie something that the last thing that I know is a huge issue for parents of young girls is over sexualization and like the dolls have big chunk like lips and tons of makeup and big boobs now like Barbie was the least of our problems in the 80s it's gotten so much worse um how do we have productive conversations with our little girls um that give them a sense of what is normal and good and right Mm. in the world when it comes to our bodies I think the first thing we have to do is keep telling our little girls that they're supposed to be little girls. Yeah. And Steve Bedoff writes that really the longer we can keep our little girls just engaged in little girl stuff without any any even perception of sexualization like we've already talked about or of needing to look a certain way, the healthier they will be in that transition to womanhood. So I think probably when... um, can yeah. I just say, yeah. so does that include not having a little joke in front of our little girls or boys for that matter about who they like in the playground when they're oh, six? What totally. is that? What I know it's, it's equally as frustrating as the one that every time that most people, when they meet a little girl, they comment on how she looks. Mm. Right? It's two of those little things that we keep doing. Or the one that says, boys, you look beautiful, sweetheart. Yeah, look, yeah. I call all my, my grandsons and my granddaughters beautiful and gorgeous. And they've got used to it. So it's been normalized that everyone is. No, you're right. So one of the key things is that um, I think we have conversations with our girls, particularly once they've started school. You go shopping in a large supermarket and can see the crop tops and the micro shorts and the craziness that you see, you say these are clothes that are actually for for girls way older. I mean, go 16 plus, even though you know that. Um, And this isn't, that's not how you're supposed to be looking. You're supposed to be a girl. And it can be really hard to find clothing that actually does suit our girls. That's not allowing them. Sometimes some of the swimmers and bathers, whoa. And then um, you might start what I've been doing, which is very naughty is that if my granddaughter's there and, you know, the older one particularly, and I might say, this, is, this isn't really nice. Little girls don't need to show off their tummies, do they? And she'll go, no. And I say, so I'm going to take, take one off there and I'm just going to put it down underneath there so they can't see it so quickly. <laughs> because what, what then becomes normalised, you know, that sexualized kind of stuff is you just need one girl in the group. One girl in the daycare, one girl in after school, you know, hours, and and that there says this is okay. Um, mm. And then the other one is the dance 
Um, when you want to do dance, dance is beautiful for all children, very beautiful for girls. However, be careful before you sign up for dance that you've looked at the last year's uh, concert and see that you're comfortable with those uh, costumes because oh, the sexualisation of dance has become very problematic. And um, in actual fact, one of my daughter-in-laws is a dance teacher and it's just been one of her, you know, really deep concerns because she's seen it because she sees what's online. And just recently I, um, in Sydney, a under 10s uh, dance competition, a group was disqualified because their costumes were far too sexualized for t- under 10-year-olds. So we're getting there in terms of saying, no, this isn't okay. Yes, they may love a Beyonce song. They may love a whatever song. They just don't have to wear the sexualized clothing if they're going to do it in the dance school. So again, we talk about, you know, there are, there are when you're older, It'll be your decision. Um, however, when we're younger, I am still going to make sure we feel comfortable that you are, you know, wearing clothes that you love to wear. You can be as blingy as you like, or you can wear dungarees. Um, but you, you know, the ones that we're not going to wear are those ones. Because really, when you do dress ups, you're supposed to fall out of the high heels and you're supposed mm-hmm. to put oranges in the bras and you're supposed to, can you see? So I think it's that message again. It's one we have to keep pushing back because we know. What happens later is deeply influenced by how, um, you know, the sexualization of their clothes when they're early and when they're younger. I just wish the, you know, those who design and make clothes could step up a bit more. I have seen a beautiful site where some girls, young girls who were 12 and, and 14, didn't like any of the swimmers or the bathers that were available and drew some out and their parents all jumped together and they've actually created a swimming label that are gorgeous but all yeah. these most beautiful one pieces that look fantastic. And I thought there is hope. Yeah, that's Our fabulous. girls are coming and they'll push back for us, I reckon. Yeah, that's just gorgeous. It is. And I loved the, uh, the takeaway what you just said there was really um, researching whether your values are aligned if you're doing any extracurricular and think, is this someone I want mentoring my little child? Um, I'm just going to pop in and watch a dance class and see what the teacher says during the class and see if that's the language I want my girl to to be exposed to or boy for that matter. And Mm. I am going to say girls are watching women around them from a very early age and it really only came to me um, and I think I shared this when... um, I'm not sure if it was one of the podcasts or the Compass program, but because um, obviously my mum wasn't the warm, she was stunningly beautiful and dressed immaculately always. Um, but I had this auntie, my dad's only sister, who had big bosoms and great laugh and you walked in her house and everything was loud and laughing and full and everyone was welcome. And, and I didn't realise until I actually attended her funeral on Zoom because I couldn't get there. I modelled myself on my auntie, not my mum. So our girls are watching and so you're right, where, who am I choosing to be the influencers? And isn't that interesting? It's become such a thing because those influencers can shape the way our girls see themselves. So the more we have, you know, really healthy uh, role models, guys and women, then the healthier our mm. girls can, can kind of say, okay, I like that and I think I'll be that. Mm, I love that. If you're like me and you're a nanny or a grandmother, and uh, so make sure you're a big and bold and loud one sometimes or you celebrate the gifts that you have because I've secretly taught all mine to laugh really loudly when they're (laughs) they're happy. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so good. And it's so true. I mean, you know, how many times have I've had girlfriends realize, oh crap, I say I don't look good in this dress right there in front of my eight-year-old daughter. Yep. Yep. What does that yep. set up? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's not easy. And that's why kind of the book ended up becoming a therapy for so many, so many. Um, well, parenting um, heals yeah. us if we want to do the work, right? Exactly. Because it shows you all your problems. I've had a lot yeah. of mums saying, I'm saying no a lot more often since that book, Maggie, because I realised I just, no, I go, yes, especially when I'm tired. And I go, yeah, what you're teaching your daughter, put yourself you're not as important as everyone else. No, if it's important, we stand there. And we also say, no, that won't work for us without apologising. Because that whole thing, oh, I'm so sorry, that won't work for me. No, just say, no, that won't work for me. Another yeah. time, maybe. Yeah, love it. Practice in front of a mirror. Because yeah. we've just been so conditioned to be those sweet, nice, pretty, well-behaved little girls. And <laughs> those days are over. Oh. Those days are over. Those days are over. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me. This book is fabulous. I have all the details in uh, the show notes for everybody to grab themselves a copy. And I think, like I said at the very start, your advice always comes wrapped up in a doona with a cup of tea. You never feel judged or awful for what you didn't do right. It's more about getting excited about what you're doing into the future, which I think is what the world needs. Thank you. A heck of a lot more of. Oh, watch together that ARIA tribute to Helen Reddy, I'm Woman. That's oh, online yes. because, of course, there are a whole kind of group of women doing their thing in their own way different cultures, different ages, different sizes, and they just sing it. Oh, my gosh, I think that's It gives me goosebumps just to think about it. I know, right? And I think that is it. It shows our girls. Just be you. Yeah. Be you. And we'll just, all of us have to learn. And then you love you. Everyone else will too. It's just seriously good. Be your own best friend first and be you. Thanks, Alex. Brilliant. Thanks, Maggie. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.